dig it, then we get rip it. Now, I never used to understand Shakespeare when I read it, but now that it's in hip hop, he's like, I get it. Hello, and welcome to the state of Shakespeare. I'm Garrett Vandermeer. And I'm Jim Elliott. And today on the program, we're joined by Kevin Rich. Hi, Kevin. Hello. Kevin is the artistic director of the Illinois Shakespeare Festival. As an actor, Kevin has appeared at the Milwaukee Shakespeare, Chicago Shakespeare, Kentucky Shakespeare, Shakespeare and Company, Portland Center Stage, San Jose Rep. You get the idea. Yale Rep all over the country. American Theater Company, just about everywhere. And we're delighted to have Kevin joining us. Thank you for being here. Thanks for having me. We're interested in talking today about the Illinois Shakespeare Festival. You are the artistic director. What is the Illinois Shakespeare Festival and how did you become involved? The Illinois Shakespeare Festival is attached to Illinois State University and has been for the past 40 years. We're celebrating our 40th anniversary season this summer. Um, so it was started by Cal Prittner in 1978, and we essentially produce three shows in rotating repertory in our beautiful outdoor theater, Ewing Manor, here in Bloomington Normal, two hours south of Chicago. We do two Shakespeare and one contemporary play that one can describe as Shakespearean. This summer we are doing Midsummer Night's Dream, a six-person Cymbeline, and a new hip-hop adaptation of Romeo and Juliet called I Heart Juliet by the Q Brothers Collective. And isn't it the world premiere? Or? It is. We commissioned this one. It's their, I think their fifth. The Q Brothers would love to adapt the entire canon. And so far, their series includes The Bombity of Errors, Funk It Up About Nothing, Othello the Remix, Hugh Gents, which is their two-person version of Two Gentlemen of Verona, and now... I heart Juliet. So the the Q brothers are are making some noise, and I did a little research on them. They've been around for they say twenty years now, and they're from the Chicago area originally, right? That's right. What is the Q brothers collective, and how did you come to direct their latest offering? Well, I first saw them in two thousand eight. I was teaching a high school theater program called Cherubs at Northwestern University, and we brought all of them to Chicago Shakespeare to see Funk It Up About Nothing, and it was an amazing experience for all the students you know they're they're essentially adapting this classical material using a hip-hop vocabulary and you could argue that it's really similar to what Shakespeare was doing with his classics updating them with contemporary references and music and poetry and it was just electrifying and you asked how I came to be here I first started working here as an actor in 2009 and at the time I was teaching at Kenyon College, and then a position opened up in 2013 to be on the acting faculty as well as artistic director. And I threw my hat on the ring in the ring, and here I am. And I thought of them immediately when I got this job, and we were able to make it work to bring them here in 2015 to do Q Gents. It was commissioned by the Oregon Shakespeare Festival, but Bill Rausch very graciously let us take a first look at it, and our audiences loved it. You know, it, it was funny. Initially, they thought, hip-hop Shakespeare, what are you doing? But mm -hmm. then they came to see it, and they loved it. Then for the next two years, everybody said, when are you going to bring those Q-boys back here? It's an awesome opportunity to be able to bring them down again. I mean, it was a sort of a bucket list thing for me to, to commission a new play. It was one of the things when I first interviewed here, I said, I just, I believe it's our responsibility as a Shakespeare festival to do what Shakespeare was doing, which is essentially 
nurture our poets and our playwrights in adaptive classics. I love it. And you, there's so many points of interest that I want to ask you about. But let's start with, you mentioned Oregon Shakespeare and Bill Rausch. And you know, I'm sure, of the big project they're working on. Yes. Which is not hip-hop oriented, but it is doing the same thing you're talking about in terms of updating Shakespeare, bringing it into the modern world. How do you feel about that? Well, you know, you, you have that first knee-jerk reaction when you hear that people are rewriting Shakespeare, because that's this translation project. That's what you're talking right, about, right? Correct. Because exactly. the other initiative they have here is the American Revolutions initiative, where they're essentially commissioning modern-day history plays, which I think is also very Shakespearean. Hamilton is Shakespeare, as far as I'm concerned. It's, you know, it's a poetic, contemporary, popular history play about our history. The translation series, you know, the knee-jerk reaction is, oh, is this going to be No Fear Shakespeare? I've actually worked on a couple of the staged readings of these plays and have discovered that it's really a very compelling project in that they have commissioned 36 playwrights and 36 dramaturgs to take a deep dive into Shakespearean verse and instructed them to do no harm and to honor the structure of these plays. So it's not changing, it's not moving away from poetry. It's giving playwrights an opportunity to take Shakespearean verse on And someone made the very interesting point that these plays are translated into every other language, every other modern language on earth. So why not English? And observing the care and respect with which the playwrights tackled their assignments makes me very curious about how this is going to inform their work going forward. So if you don't think of it as, well, we should do away with Shakespeare and just update it and think of this as additive and a supplement and a wonderful opportunity for our poetic playwrights I'm all for it. That's a really interesting point of view that, that I don't think, Garrett, you and I have heard. We have not. No. <laughs> I know. I'm telling you, you got to think about what Shakespeare was doing with his classics. You know, right. Thing let's I, put you in a room with Jim Shapiro and see what happens. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> exactly. Back to your personal journey, Kevin. So you were working, you said, at Kenyon, and yeah. you threw your hat in the ring for this artistic directorship at Illinois Shakes. Take us back to where you were in your professional development. Did that feel like something that you felt like you were well prepared for? Or did that feel like a, a big step and a giant challenge? Yes. Well, it certainly felt like a big step and a giant challenge. And I was totally honored to be given the opportunity to take it on. It felt like a natural step forward for me in the sense that I have always been interested. And one of the reasons why I initially landed at a liberal arts college is because that's really what I was seeking, because I'm interested in working with artists who are interested in sort of, or inspired to impact their community in meaningful ways. And so when this opportunity opened up, What it came with was the opportunity to also more deeply intersect the MFA acting program at ISU with the festival. And I just, I was planning on doing something like that at Kenyon anyway, so that a company already existed, just it was a natural step forward. And we we redesigned the program to have a focus on civic engagement. We attracted actors who are interested in taking Shakespeare to new territory. They became the touring company for the festival and took work all over central Illinois and beyond. And my next step, I've accepted a position at the University of Colorado Boulder to help develop programming in what we're calling applied Shakespeare, which we think of as an umbrella term for Shakespeare that is for arts practitioners that are using Shakespeare in ways outside of the commercial theater, Shakespeare in prison, Shakespeare with veterans, uh, Shakespeare with students with cognitive disabilities, and also the application of Shakespeare to new work. So in that way, the line makes sense. 
but it has involved some big leaps forward. So I'm curious about what's going on at Colorado Shakes. We really haven't touched yeah. on it. It's doing really well. And actually, if, if you have interest, the thing that they're sort of most known for right now is their education tour, which is tied with the Center for Nonviolence. And they, they are doing productions linking Shakespeare and bullying prevention workshops. And they just got a, the huge... NEA Shakespeare and Communities grant. So there, there's a lot of buzz around that right now. Oh, that's great. In terms of applied Shakespeare, our last interview was with Kurt Toftland. Yes, who we had here to direct in 2015 and whose work is completely inspirational. And uh, I have been reading a lot lately about how people are using Shakespeare with autistic children. Right. Check out this program at The Ohio State University in conjunction with the Royal Shakespeare Company called Shakespeare and Autism that I'm interested in learning about this year. And we're, it's weird that you say that because I just had a meeting a couple of weeks ago with, with some schools in Colorado about developing something along this along these lines. Fantastic. Now, I know, Jim, that we've had a couple of guests who have talked about their personal journey and their struggles with dyslexia and how discovering Shakespeare changed their world. Yep. You know, it's a double-edged sword. On the one hand, I say that Shakespeare is given a horrible first impression by being compulsory reading in high school. On the other hand, it sets the bar low so that when people do see it performed and hear it performed, it's that much more surprising that it's accessible and thrilling to watch. Yeah, it is an uphill battle because Shakespeare, I mean, while a nice read is not really meant to be read, it's meant to be heard and seen. Agreed. And I, I tell the story a lot, but I the first Shakespeare I saw that really blew my mind was a six person as you like it on a basketball court in the Lower East Side of New York. Oh. And kids who came to play basketball and saw that their basketball court had been taken over by theater people didn't leave. They sat on the basketballs and they watched the show and the show was musical and imaginative and theatrical and that everybody was changing roles and it was interactive. And I was like, okay, there's something going on here. And the more I've learned about Shakespeare, the more I've learned that the way in which that play was performed is very similar to how he designed the plays to, to be performed. I think that when we talk about how accessible these plays are to a popular audience or can be to a popular audience, the content and the poetry is part of it, but his staging practices, I think, also have to be a part of that conversation. The way in which he told the plays made them accessible across socioeconomic lines, and that's something I'm really interested in, both in staging his plays and in creating new plays, incorporating not just his poetry, but also his practices. So that may bring us to, to another question we have. What is the Improvised Shakespeare Company? Oh, man. How far away are you from Chicago? Because you got to see these. <laughs> <laughs> it is amazing. I've done a little bit of improvising um, and a little more Shakespeare, but I could never do them both. And they are incredible. I mean, they, it's five guys. Now it's a larger touring company. But there's only ever five on stage at the same time. But it's five guys who improvise a Shakespearean play based on an audience suggestion. It's an hour long, and I've <sighs> never seen a bad one. It's amazing. They are well-versed in the themes and the tropes and the language of Shakespeare. And so an audience suggests something, a title, essentially, of, of the play. And then uh, someone steps forward and delivers a prologue in rhyming couplets oh. off the top of his head. And then they're off to the races. And they it's always a complex play with multiple storylines and lots of Shakespearean references. And it's absolutely hilarious. We brought them down as a special event my first season here. Uh, and they were such a hit. We have brought them down every year since. And in a, 
here in our 40th anniversary, we're actually giving them, they, it used to be sort of a pre-show thing. Now they've got a main stage slot on Tuesday nights because the demand has grown that much. Oh, okay. I'm coming. I'm coming to normal. That's yeah, it. Come on, man. And <laughs> as far as I know, we are the first outdoor theater, like Shakespearean theater that has asked them to perform. They performed all over the place in comedy clubs and, and other Shakespeare festivals too. But the, the first time they walked in our theater, which is really a beautiful space, they were like, oh, this is so exciting to actually be in a Shakespearean theater. Yeah, they're not to be missed. They're pretty wonderful. It sounds like you've got a fantastic season lined up for the 40th anniversary this summer in 2017. But more to I Heart Juliet, which is the project that you're specifically directing this yes. summer. Tell us about how the process unfolds. It's a play that they, and you know, the cues are kind of huge right now. They've got a lot of commissions on their plate. We're working with something that they had begun developing in residence at Connecticut College years ago and had kind of been on their shelf. So the Q brothers, there's two guys, JQ and GQ, who grew up rapping. And then GQ went to drama school at NYC and became exposed to Shakespeare and realized that Shakespeare and hip hop had a lot in common. And so that's when they, they developed, and I think this was about 17 years ago now, The Bombity of Airs, that was a big hit off Broadway and kind of started yep. that trajectory for them. And uh, along the way, they have gotten a few more company members. Jackson Doran and Pastel Pringle are the other two members of their four-person Othello the Remix. And since they were all together again, they were able to work on the next iteration of I Heart Juliet. They were down for the first week of rehearsal. They were down working with our cast in residence, making additional tweaks. It's in really good shape now, and we're having an absolute blast putting it up on its feet. So how close to the original script is a Q Brothers collective version of I Heart Juliet or The Comedy of Errors or any of them? Well, it depends on what, what you mean by close, I think. I mean... In the sense that the plays are lyrical, poetic, funny, surprising, human, the characters are likable and relatable, I think they're really similar. But in other ways, they do depart. I mean, they'll update things in pretty big ways. For example, Friar Lawrence is not a friar. He's crazy Uncle Larry. And he looks like a guy from Back to the Future, and he sells potions and carpets, right? <laughs> so... <laughs> I don't know if that answers your question or not. For sure, sure. And so what are the challenges? I mean, you know, so many people, our podcast included, talk about the language of Shakespeare and how, you know, you have to unpack the language to understand it. Is that part of the process or do you just use it, the play as a jumping off point? I think that the cues when they're writing are very much in conversation with the play. The language is, I mean, it's partly because it's, wrapped into a beat. Right. It is one of those things that, similar to Shakespeare, first you have to just kind of embrace the technicalities. You've just got to you know, figure out how to sort of technically execute the poetry. The thing I like about it is that it takes a couple listens. You know, every time you hear it, because there's so much language and it's coming at you so fast, you get something new every time. And I think that's really similar to Shakespeare. Yeah. And something I love about this form is that you can make an album out of it and you can listen to it over and over again. And that's not unlike the access that Shakespeare's audience had when you could see a play really affordably and go back and see it over and over and over again. I think that's what it takes in order to really absorb you know, the depth of the poetry. Yes. And so I think there's a lot of potential for this sort of hip hop musical form that seems to be exploding right now. 
Oh, wow, that's such a fantastic observation. I don't think I've ever really thought of it that way before, but isn't it amazing how how the lyrics that we listen to on the radio as kids stick with us our whole lives long right. because of that repetition? So just because we are Shakespeare and we talk, we do talk about language, in Romeo and Juliet, you have some very famous lines. Yes. A rose by any other name. Yes. In this play, it's a rose by any other name would still smell like a rose. Interesting. So you do keep some of the greatest hits. Yeah. They do work in some lines, but they also, you know, I have to tell this really funny story because, um, and I think it kind of captures their spirit. I was totally geeking out. You know, we were talking about one of their early drafts and I was geeking out about the shared sonnet, mm-hmm. Romeo and Juliet's, you know, shared sonnet. The first time they speak to each other, they write a sonnet together. And I was sort of like, you know, going on and on about how I think that this is, you know, and especially at this point in Shakespeare's career, he was really, you know, he's he's in his sort of lyrical phase and he's blowing up as a poet and he's, but he's he's also, the love stories are becoming more complicated and complex because they've met each other's soulmates the love relationships kind of from that point forward are really much very much about finding your equal and so i was saying what is the hip-hop equivalent to that in the party scene where where they meet for the first time what is the hip-hop equivalent what is your response to the two of them being on equal ground in terms of being incredibly deep souls poetic souls amazing with verse and able to to complete each other's couplets and their initial they 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 were like they they paused and then said wow that's really nerdy (laughs) 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 and their initial response to that conversation the next time i saw that scene romeo and juliet were just kind of grunting at each other (laughs) they were unable to speak (laughs) 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 they're like their first exchange was like whoa oh hi yeah, you know, it was like that, which, which I think is a great descriptor of their sort of, there, there's a way in which they're interested in kind of subverting or surprising our expectations. And this play, there's something really interesting about how we go in expecting like, okay, this is their response to Romeo and Juliet, so what does that mean? And then they throw characters like Crazy Uncle Larry at us. Just at a moment where we're about to feel something, they surprise our expectations and they return it to a place of levity until the end which actually really does pack a punch. And even that can be described as Shakespearean, you know, creating moments of levity. You know, it's like Osric in the hat scene right before everything, you know, goes to hell at the end of Hamlet. It's that roller coaster that Shakespeare takes us on that I think they instinctively do as well. So it's been, yeah, it's been a really fun process to, to work on. For our listeners who are interested in catching the show, what are the details? So we're part of a three-show rep, and I Heart Juliet takes place in our black box theater on the ISU campus, Sunday afternoons and Tuesday nights. And then on Tuesday nights, Improvised Shakespeare is happening in the outdoor space. And then every other night of the week, except Mondays when we're dark, we are repping the two Shakespeare's, Midsummer and Cymbeline, outside. You can find out the whole complicated schedule on IllinoisShakes.com. The show's open starting... Well, I Heart Juliet starts a week later, uh, July 9th, but our season initially opens with Midsummer on June 30th, and then we run 
you know, six nights a week until August 12th. Kevin Rich, thank you so much for joining us today. It's been a pleasure. Thank you, Kevin. Thank you. I'm Garrett Vandermeer. And I'm Jim Elliott. And thank you for listening to The State of Shakespeare. Well, here's a little story I'd like to tell about two Q brothers you know so well. It started way back at CST with him, JQ, and my brother. I'm G, skimming through much ado with my headphones on. Got the hey, nani, nani, when I heard a new song. You thinking what I'm thinking? Yup. Thanks for joining us for the State of Shakespeare podcast. We invite you to visit stateofshakespeare.com for more episodes, information about each of our guests, and the Shakespeare text you heard on the program, and much more. And we welcome you to join the discussion by liking us on Facebook. That's www.stateofshakespeare.com. Thanks for listening.